Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 77, Mr. Chad McIntosh on the Trinity. Mr. Chad McIntosh is a Ph.D. student in philosophy at Cornell University, where he's studied under some leading philosophers, including Karen Bennett, Dirk Paraboom, and Ted Sider. He holds a B.A. in philosophy from Calvin College. He's worked on many topics in philosophy. When it comes to analytic theology, he's applied recent work by philosophers on personhood and group agency. He blogs on these topics at Appeared to Blogly, and the link for that is at the post for this episode at trinities.org. I'm pleased to announce that Mr. McIntosh will be a contributor to the Trinities blog, contributing at least three times a year, and hopefully more often than that. He's authored some insightful book reviews of cutting-edge books in analytic theology, and he has an article forthcoming in the prestigious British Philosophy of Religion journal, Religious Studies. In that paper, called The God of the Groups, he explores an interesting new variety of social Trinitarianism. But we'll talk to him about that in next week's episode. This week, we'll spend a few minutes getting to know him and talking more generally about the Trinity. Mr. McIntosh, welcome to the Trinity's podcast. Thanks for having me. Why are you interested in competing theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, I'm interested for a lot of reasons, but... What has kept me interested is that it seems to be a bottomless philosophical pit that I fell into in high school when I came across Peter Van Umwagen's paper on relative identity and a trinity. Seeing the rigorous logical machinery that uh, he was bringing to bear on the doctrine was, was really fascinating, was captivating, and that's kind of piqued my, my interest ever since. So when I went to Calvin College, I asked, Kelly Clark to supervise an independent study on the Trinity for me. And I remember him saying that he thought uh, that the Trinity is the hardest topic for Christian philosophers to work on. And uh, well, that really got me interested. So I put together uh, an overly ambitious syllabus covering almost everything philosophers have written on the topic over the past 40 years or so, and uh, found that if it isn't the hardest topic, it's certainly... Uh, probably the richest topic um, at its heart are perennial philosophical problems like the many and the one, the concept of personhood, consciousness, identity, constitution, muriology, substance, essence, relations, the nature of rationality, of belief in mystery and paradox, love and friendship, and a bunch more. So um, I guess you could say having so many philosophical interesting philosophical topics all in some way connected to a single thing is uh, like a philosopher's wet dream. (laughs) Now, when we first met, I think you mentioned referring to me as your nemesis. Why was that? Um, It makes academia a lot more interesting when you think of it as a kind of Marvel universe with good guys and bad guys. And so I think of myself as Batman, the hero... And uh, you're more like the joke, uh, <laughs> my art. So, um, really, what I meant was that um, you've been this nuisance in the background of my whole college career. Um, the term paper I wound up writing for that independent study with Clark 
was a response to your paper on the possibility of a single perfect per- person. And um, I've continued to work on uh, other things responding to you in some way or another since then. And I don't know why exactly, but uh, I, I guess I find your work especially irritating. <laughs> Good. Well, better irritating than boring and irrelevant. Now, the first sentence in your paper that's coming out in the prestigious journal Religious Studies really stuck out for me. You say there, quote, God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This all Trinitarians believe. But what exactly is meant by person? Here, agreement ends, end quote. It struck me that there is disagreement about something so upfront and central to the Trinitarian tradition what do you think most Trinitarians mean when they say that God is three, quote, persons? I'm not sure I know what most people mean by person, much less Trinitarian, probably because person is an accordion concept that can be expanded or contracted depending on the tune you want to play. But many other central terms are like that, too, like God. But maybe person concept of personhood is unique in this sense. It's striking that there's so much disagreement about what persons are, because there's really nothing we as persons could be more intimately acquainted with. Maybe the disagreement is very striking in that way. I don't know if the concept of personhood, the amount of disagreement that is there about that, is all that more striking than normal fundamental terms in theology, like God. But uh, maybe, maybe the term person is maybe all the disagreement about the term person, in the sense that that's at least one topic, or at least one concept, you'd think we as persons would have a good candle on, uh, because we are a person, you know, we are intimately acquainted with what it, what it is to be a person. So, striking me anyway for that reason. Analytic theologians have proposed several mutually incompatible ways to interpret traditional Trinity language, but why not just say that we believe in the Trinity whatever it is, and use the traditional language without worrying too much about what it means. It's a mystery, right? We can't expect to explain or understand God, can we? So why worry about what these claims mean? There's nothing necessarily wrong with believing in the Trinity, whatever it is, just sticking to the creedal language. I wish some people would do that. (laughs) But for some people, maybe the persecuted, or the uneducated, or more simple-spirited souls, uh, that might be the only option. So I don't, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But for those with more time and more opportunity and resources, I think more is asked of them. So here the mystery card should be used sparingly, only when there's an in-principle reason for thinking our cognitive faculties gain no traction. But I think the doctrine of the Trinity is like that. Uh, I mean, I, I found philosophy to illuminate the doctrine number of different ways. So, in most cases, I suspect the mystery card is really just the lazy, the apathy card uh, in a humbler guide. So, I mean, if you are one of these people with uh, the time and the resources, therefore, if you believe that God especially re- revealed the profound truth that he is triune, as I do, then presumably you should also believe that that's important self-disclosure on his part. And here's an analogy that might uh, bring the point I want to make home. If my wife shared with me a deep and important truth about herself, a truth that she knew I might find hard to understand, 
I think that says something good about her. It says that she's interested in this relationship. It says she's interested in deepening it. It says she trusts I'll be appropriately receptive. Um, but if I refuse to reciprocate interest, then that says something bad about me. It says I'm not interested in getting to know her on a deeper level, and I'm content with a superficial relationship. And sadly, that kind of superficiality is evident in a lot of Christians' lives. Many or most Christians, I think, have been called, actually called, functional Unitarians. They unreflectively think and act and behave as if God is just one person. And the inconsistency that results just as I know this. And that's not a very virtuous episode. So if the Trinity is something that God has divinely revealed about himself, then it was revealed to be believed, to be understood, right? Not to be a subject for popular confusion. So then it looks like, at least if we're able, we should put forth some effort to trying to understand what it's all about. That's part of your point, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Now, some people, when they present the Trinity, in particular some theologians, they they strongly emphasize that there's nothing in the rest of reality that's remotely like this, that any analogy you give is going to be a really bad analogy. That doesn't really stop them from using analogies, of course. They just pile on more and more and hope that it kind of works out, Mm -hmm. uh, that one bad one kind of balances out another. But you mentioned just a second ago that you had found philosophy to be helpful that in some way it untangled some things that you were confused about or clarified the Trinity in some way. How have you found philosophy to be helpful? Call me crazy, but I find the Kerberos analogy that Craig often feels to, I find that very illuminating. He and uh, Moreland's book, Philosophical Foundations, the Kerberos analogy is that, or illustration, is that uh, you know, there's this mythical three-headed dog that guards the gate of Hades. It's got this, this uh, canine body with uh, with three heads. And Craig and Moreland elaborate on that and by imagining that Kerberos gets slayed by Hercules, and he's got a soul. And so the soul of Kerberos, you know, is uh, distinct from the body of Kerberos, but the soul has, like, three minds or three sets of rational faculties. And I found that to be pretty, pretty illuminating account of the Trinity, especially when it's built on the more common model of substance dualism. We have soul and immaterial substance that underlies or supports um, a mind. And so it's easy to think of the Trinity as a single substance or soul that supports three minds. So I think when I first read that account, that was, that was very illuminating to me. I thought that made the, the doctrine very clear. Having read your piece called The God of the Groups, which we're going to hopefully discuss next week on the podcast, I think I see why you would like that analogy. The analogy might actually fit your view better than theirs. Craig says that God is a soul in which there are three rational faculties that constitute three persons. 
but Craig's view is that God isn't himself a person. He's very clear about that. There are only three persons, there are not four. Whereas for you, God is a soul in the sense of a thinking thing, a subject of consciousness, right? For you, God is a person in addition to the three persons of the Trinity. Well, yes and no. I'll be very careful about sliding from the in- making the inference God is a soul, a thinking thing, to God is a person. Because I, I think there are some kinds of persons that are souls, that are thinking things, and in virtue of being thinking things are, are persons, but not all persons are, are persons in virtue of that. So I don't think God, the triune God, is a person in virtue of being a thinking soul. I don't want to identify the group God, the group person, with the substance that is the three persons. I don't want to do that. The social entity, if you will, the functional entity that I think is the group person is distinct from the substance that the three persons constitute. Does the fourth person, which is the triune God, does that person supervene on both the substance and the three other persons? I think that's right. I think I think the person is a supervenient entity, or at least the mental states, the epistemic states of the group God, supervene on the mental states of the person. But the relation, the precise relation that exists between the three persons and the group person is not supervenience, it's constitution. It's constitution, so it's something like the relationship between uh, a batch of clay and a clay pot that it constitutes? That's right, that's right. It strikes me that, although your view may have some theoretical advantages over Craig's, I wonder if his view has an advantage over yours as respects the Bible. When we look at the Bible, we do clearly see two persons, the Father and Son. They love one another, they cooperate together, they talk to one another. And uh, if you think there are good arguments that the Son is equally divine, then you would have then two divine persons. And the Holy Spirit, okay, there are traditional arguments that the Holy Spirit is also a divine person. But if you have a view like Craig's, or again, a view like uh, William Hasker, these types of social Trinitarians, they say, yeah, and that's all the persons there are. You should only expect to see three there. Now, on your view, there's a fourth. So, I mean, it looks like there isn't a fourth personal character in the New Testament, which is the three of them together, or the triune God. You've got the Father and Son, arguably the Holy Spirit. But then, if your view is right, wouldn't you then expect to see a fourth, if I can put it this way, a fourth character? I guess you would only expect to see that depending on how much God has revealed about himself during those times. And I'm not really sure... There's a lot there for us to have those sorts of expectations, but 
I think there are enough interesting cases where God does seem to be plural that are suggestive of like a group personhood model, where it's at least suggestive of my view. Um, it doesn't entail it by any means. So if I understand you, you're, you're granting that the Trinity is not explicitly taught in the Bible. Aren't you also granting that it's not implicitly taught there, but only that it's the best explanation of what's taught there? I agree that it's not explicitly taught in the Bible. I don't know what the difference is between it being implicitly taught and it being the best explanation. On the first option, if it's implicitly taught, then it would be part of the content that's being asserted. Whereas in the second one, it's maybe the best explanation of what is and is not asserted there, but strictly it wasn't asserted. Right. So I, I would definitely think the latter is true. I don't think any of the biblical authors had in mind the fact that God is triune. Even though they may have had in mind at points maybe that God is, God is more than one person, but that's consistent with them not having in mind that God is triune. So then if the doctrine of the Trinity is a doctrine that was divinely revealed, when do you think it was divinely revealed? N not in the first century, right? No, not in the first century. I mean, we see flitterings of things going on, interesting summations of, of biblical data being reflected on at the end of the second century and throughout the third, especially in the fourth. So I think there's something, there is some divine guidance principle at work during those uh, first four centuries, but I'm not sure what I really think about it um, as Protestant, uh, how to understand um, the nature of what happened in those, in those first years. So it was a process that took centuries in any case, culminating, I assume, in the fourth or the fifth? Yeah. Mr. McIntosh, do you agree with the condemnatory clauses in the famous Athanasian Creed where it says that a person will go to hell unless he or she holds to the traditional Catholic beliefs. It says, quote, whole and undefiled. No, no, I don't agree with those clauses. I'm optimistic that uh, you're going to make it to the party, that I'll be at the party, and that uh, I trust that God has the power to bring together even Batman and the Joker. <laughs> Mr. McIntosh, thanks for talking with us. Thank you for having me. Do you enjoy listening to the Trinity's podcast? There are four ways you can show us some love in return. First, share the blog post for this episode on whatever social media you use, such as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Google+. Second, you can leave us a rating and a brief review in the iTunes store and at Stitcher. For step-by-step -step directions on how to do this, visit trinities.org slash blog slash review. Doing this will help other people who are interested in theology to find this podcast. Third, you can donate to the cause by clicking the orange donate buttons to the right of any blog post. Do you think these episodes are worth a quarter apiece? If so, you can donate a dollar each month via PayPal. And of course, any one-time gift is much appreciated. Fourth, you can send us some brief, to-the-point audio feedback for possible incorporation into a future episode. We would love to hear your question or your comment in your voice. 
The upload link for your audio file is on the blog post for any episode. To sum up, you can share, rate, donate, and talk back. Thanks for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.